says in verse 12 of 1 Timothy chapter 1, I want to draw your attention there. It says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for He counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer, a persecutor, and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on Him to life everlasting. The Apostle Paul makes great, uh, it's a great passage right here. He was somebody who was a great sinner. Somebody who did some terrible things and God used him as an example of just, you know, who he could save. That God can save the chief of sinners like the Apostle Paul was. He is a great example of that and a great picture of the saving power of God. And, you know, people, whenever we talk about a salvation by grace through faith that is without works, and that is what we believe. You are not saved by your works. You do not get saved by you turning from your sin and, or doing some good work. We are saved by faith in the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ did all the work for our salvation when He died, was buried, and rose again. He did all of that. And when we put our faith in His works and not our own works, that right there will save us. A simple calling upon the name of the Lord for salvation, asking Him to be your Savior, that will save you. And end of story. You know, what if I mess up? In the future, hey, you didn't get saved by your works. You don't stay saved by your works. You get saved by the work of Jesus Christ. And people, they often scoff at that. They'll scoff at eternal security. You know, and we believe in eternal security. Once you're saved, you're always saved. End of story. Okay, I could, I could preach five messages just on that. But you know what? Sometimes... And I think a lot of this is, once again, I blame a lot of false doctrine on camp meetings, all right? You know, these southern camp meetings you go to where everybody gets all excited and caught up in the emotion. There's a lot of whooping and hollering and screaming. And preachers, a lot of times they get a little overzealous and they just start saying things that are very foolish that aren't, that aren't necessarily biblical. But it's like when, once they've said it, it becomes sound doctrine in these people's minds. I mean, when you say, get up and you're preaching, you say something, and it's so good, somebody does a lap around the auditorium, well, you know that was truth, right? But no, not necessarily. Sometimes people just get caught up in the emotion, and they're not even really thinking about what they're saying. And as a preacher of the Word, I've got to be careful you know, not to try so hard to emphasize my point that I end up you know, failing to rightly divide the Scriptures and fail to, you know, be honest about what the Bible teaches on some things. And so, you know, for, and so for example, we all want people to be saved. Okay? We all want that. But you know what? It's possible sometimes that we, go, we can go too far in talking about who God will save. Okay? I understand God died for the sins of the whole world, and He did. I understand for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But you know what? There is a line somewhere, for example, because, well, obviously people in hell, all right, I wonder how many people in hell have called out to God in hell, but are they going to get saved from hell? No, there are, it's too late, right? And people are like, well, death is where the line is drawn. You know what? Once you've died, then it's too late. But before death, it's never too late. Well, the problem with that is there are no verses that back that up. 
And the truth is, we see examples of things that God won't forget. Look at Mark chapter 3, verse 28. Okay, and I didn't say this. Jesus said this. Verily I say unto you, all sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men and blasphemies wheresoever they shall blaspheme. So then she says, all sins shall be forgiven and blasphemies, but he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. So right there, he says all sins, but then he says, but here's an exception, blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. You're not going to get forgiveness of that. You know, eternal damnation is what you've got coming. Proverbs 29 verse 1 says, But he that being often reproved and hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. So that just means they're going to die. I don't think so. Because the thing is, everybody knows that there's no remedy for death. Okay? But there are some things in this life that if we do, if we cross the line, if we do them, there's no fixing it. Okay? There's some sins, if I commit them, I can't fix those things. There are no sacrifices for those sins. We don't do those things anymore. For example, if I go and I kill Brother John, I might feel bad about it later, but can I fix what I did? No, you, you can't unkill somebody. I, I can't undo that. And according to the Word of God, I need to be put to death for that sin. There's no remedy for what, for what I have done in that situation. Jude chapter 1 and verse 10. Turn over there. Look what it says. But these speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally as brute beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves. This is talking about people bringing in false doctrine and stuff. It says, Woe unto them, for they have gone the way of Cain, and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam, for reward, and perish in the gainsaying of Cory. These are spots in your feast of charity. When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Notice that twice dead. Okay, now we at one time were dead in our trespasses and sins, according to Ephesians chapter 2. But you know, there's a difference between dead and twice dead. These people that are twice dead, notice what it says about them in the next verse. It says, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. You're saying there, they're not in hell yet. They're still on earth. But guess what? They've got a reservation in hell. There's no getting out of it. They are going to die and go to hell. There's no two ways about it. There's no fixing it. These people are cursed. They are twice dead. It, refer, it refers to them as... Okay, all of us at one time were dead in our trespasses and sin, but we weren't twice. We were not twice dead. So, you know, so we all know there's a line. Okay, so some people will say it's death, but they can't show the Bible verse on that. And so what they like to do when I say this, and I'm not going to take time to teach all you know what we call the reprobate doctrine, but there are people that the Bible calls reprobate. Then the term reprobate, it means rejected. It means without hope of salvation. And note, and notice in John chapter 1 John 1 7. Everybody likes to go to John, 1 John 1 7 whenever you bring that up. Okay? And we're going to go to Romans 1 in a little bit and look at what it says about the reprobates. But whenever you start talking about a reprobate, because see, one of the reasons people scoff at salvation and eternal security is we say you can never lose your salvation. They're like, well, what if somebody goes and they kill 50 people? You know, what if this guy just goes and he rapes and molests and he does all these horrible perverted things? Is he still going to go to heaven? Well, they don't understand. Not everybody who says they're saved are saved. Okay? A lot of people are going to say, Lord, Lord. 
You know, but he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. There's a lot of false prophets. There's a lot of fakes. There's a lot of liars. You know, and how are we going to know them? We're going to know them by their fruits, the Bible says. And there's people too, they might even have some good doctrine. But understand, there are some things that the Bible says that the person, the only person that's going to do that is one given over to a reprobate mind. And there's a lot of reprobates out there who say they're saved. There's a lot of reprobates out there who say, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of people can say, they can say that all they want. But in the end of the day, the Bible says what it says, and it's the final authority on things. And notice what it says. And so what people like to do, bring to 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Man, I feel like going camp meeting right now. You know, I, I want you all to notice that word all right there. You all see that word all? I like that word all. That includes everything there. And then now I spend the next 45 minutes telling stories, telling about, you know, all these things I used to do. And, you know, but boy, I see that word all and it just it, it, you know, it gets me excited, you know, and I do a couple laps around the auditorium. I'm not going to bore you with that today. I'm sure some of you would love to see that, but I don't want to be phony. But that's what they do. They'll, I mean, they'll just pounce on that and talk about all and just scream all for about five minutes. But you know what? I'm, I'm, these camping preachers, they've got to stop just picking one verse and one line and one word and preaching a whole sermon on it. They need to start using all the Bible. Let's look at verse five. Okay. Let's start looking at verse five because that, that includes everything. You know, it doesn't matter if you went on a mass shooting spree. It doesn't matter if you went and you just, you know, did all these horrible, perverted things to people. All sin is what it says. But let's, let's read. First John 1 John 1.5 says, This sin is the message that we have heard of Him and declare unto you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him, we walk in darkness. Uh, and, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Okay? If we say we have fellowship with Him. It sounds like some people can say it, but the Bible says they lie. Okay? I hate to surprise y'all, but there are people who stand behind pulpits who lie. And some of them are really good at it. And I'll tell you why some of these people are so good at it in a little bit. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanseth us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His Word is not in us. What this passage is teaching us here in its context it's saying that a person who is in the light or has believed on Christ, that person recognizes they're a sinner. That's what this, this passage is all trying to say. People want to just focus on that all word there and then start bringing up all these crazy things that you know a, a re, only a reprobate would do, and say that you know that can all that's all you know they're not reprobate they can still be saved. But no, this is saying that that person recognizes they're a sinner. They've been cleansed and a person who doesn't think they're a sinner is still in darkness. And you know what? I believed on Christ. I put my faith and trust in him. But what about my sins? Well, you know what? All sins, they've all been cleansed. He's cleansed all of my sins. They're all covered. And so I'm, you know, am I saying that there are, there's a certain list of sins that the blood of Christ cannot cleanse? You know, that if a person has committed this sin, they can't be saved. Is that what I'm saying? Now, it might sound like that. And I'm going to be careful because a lot of what I'm going to say, people could easily mis twist and misuse it. Like, and I have people that like to do that with me. But, not in here. We, got, we, have, we have a great spirit here. 
But notice though, I'm not, the answer to that is, are there some sins that if a person has committed it, they can never be saved? The answer to that is no. Okay? I do believe the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses all sin. I absolutely, I absolutely believe that. I believe that every list of sins that you see in the Bible can be forgiven except for blasphemy of the Holy Ghost and not believing the gospel. The Bible says, he that believeth not is condemned already. The only way we can be saved is by believing the gospel. So therefore, if somebody does not obey the gospel or believe the gospel, they're not going to be saved. That, there, there is no hope there. So what's the difference? All right. Sounds like I'm doing a little bit of double talk here, right? Well, what's the difference? You know, how do we know which murderers are reprobate? Because you know what? I believe God can forgive murder. I believe God can forgive a man that's on death row and he can get saved right before his execution, before he's had a chance to get baptized, before he's had a chance to change his life. If he believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, if he realizes that he's a sinner and he calls on the Lord for salvation, I believe that man will be saved. I absolutely believe that with all my heart. And so how do we know which murders are reprobate? And I'm not saying that we can always know 100% because we can't see people's hearts. Okay? We're not capable of that. I'm not about going around trying to pick which ones are and which ones aren't. I'm not really interested in that. But you know what? There are some things that we see in the Bible that are very crystal clear. There are some things, especially when it comes to a reprobate, that are very clear. And what everybody likes to do, whenever you start talking about that, and you start calling someone reprobate and saying, you know, they crossed the line, even though it's clear that we see that in the Bible, they like to say, what about Paul? And what about David? They always bring those guys up. And I'm glad you all brought them up because I'd like to talk about them today. And the title of my message is, What About Paul and David? I, and I might not get to David. We'll see, we'll see what happens. I might have to save him because there's a lot I need to cover here. Because once again, well-meaning people trying to get people saved often get so excited that they start going into false doctrine to do it. Like I believe in the simplicity of the gospel. I believe in a, a clear message of salvation. You got, I believe that you just have to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. But you got some people that take it to another level and it doesn't matter which Jesus you believe. You know, they'll call somebody, you know, who denies the Trinity. They'll say that person is saved because they believed on Christ. Yeah, but they believe in a different Christ. They're not saved. You can't just believe in any Jesus. All right. I work with the Jesus. They call him Jesus. But I mean, I, I can't believe in him to be saved. You got to have the right one. It has to be the Son of God. You know, you, you have to... And even getting in that, there are many people who believe that Jesus existed. They, some people even believe He died, was buried, and rose again. Alright? But, they've never put their faith in that to get them to heaven. They believe, they believe on Jesus Christ. They believe He died, was buried, and rose again. But they think, I've got to do good works to be saved. I got to believe in him and I have to go to church. I have to believe in him and I have to get baptized. That's not it. No, your faith has got to be completely in the work of Jesus Christ. And just because somebody says, I believe in Jesus, it doesn't mean they're saved. Okay? It's got to be the right Jesus. They got to be putting their faith and trust in his work and not their own works. Otherwise, they are not saved. So I believe in the simplicity of the gospel, but we have some people out there they're trying to make it so simple, they're actually perverting it. And they don't care what Jesus people believe in. That's ridiculous. That's a bunch of garbage. And, and uh, we're, we're not going to teach that kind of stuff here at all. 
So what about Paul? All right. What about Paul? We'll go back to first Timothy because notice Paul mentioned all these things. You know, Paul was a murderer. Well, we don't I don't see in this passage when he's naming off all these things where he mentions murder. Now, we do know he consented to the death of Stephen. All right. He held the coats. He didn't throw the stones, but he held the coats. He consented to the death of Stephen. I believe Paul was responsible for the death of Stephen. I believe that was a great sin that he did. But notice what Paul said when he's naming off all these things he did. There's something everybody wants to leave out. There's something that everybody wants to ignore. He notice what he says when he says who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and unbelief. You all see that right there. Paul received mercy because Paul did not know what he was doing. Paul, Paul thought he was doing the Lord's work when he had Stephen put to death. When Paul was persecuting the church, Paul in his heart thought he was doing the Lord's work. He was a zealous Jew. He was very zealous in his religion. He believed he was doing the right thing when he did all those wicked things. And understand something when it comes to sin. Sin is sin, whether you think you're doing right or not. Okay? But understand, it's a bigger deal when you know better and you do it. Okay? For example, you know, if you have a little baby, all right, if we see, you know, little Zeke throw a little temper tantrum who's not even one, all right, he's doing that because of his sin nature. It's sin, right? But you know, we're not going to be as freaked out if he does it, if we see Tommy do it, who's 16. We're all going to be greatly disturbed, right? Same sin. Alright? Same sin. Exact same sin. But here's the thing. One doesn't know any better yet. One does know better. So understand that I'm going to handle that situation a lot different than Brother Pete would with his son. Because there's clearly... A difference here. And understand, Paul did not know any better with what he was doing. Romans 1, go ahead and go, turn over Romans 1, where we read about reprobates. See, here's the thing you got to understand. There are a lot of people out there who have committed some very wicked, vile sins. Who, maybe they were under the influence of alcohol. Maybe they were on drugs. Maybe they were somebody who didn't know any better. They were somebody in an abusive situation. There are people who live in very dark places in the world where there is no Bible, where they are not taught morality. They don't know any better. But understand, when they do the sins that they do, they are still sins. They are still worthy of death because of those sins. But understand, those people can be saved. Whatever it is they did, they can be saved because of the fact, you know, they can find mercy because many times it's in, in ignorance. So, well, what if, so any, you know, what if I do a sin and I knew it was the wrong thing? Well, understand there, there's a line that we can cross at some point. I don't know where it is, but look what it says in Romans chapter one, verse 18 it says for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Notice that. They hold the truth, but yet they're doing unrighteousness anyway. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. God has revealed to these people that what they are doing is wrong. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, 
being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, you see that? When they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. This was a process. These were people who knew the truth. They knew what was right. They rejected it. They said, no, God's working on them. God's showing them things. He's revealing things to them. And they're saying, no, no, no. Verse 23, and change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. They're changing God. They're making him into something that he's not. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie. Now, they didn't do this on accident. They knew the truth. They held the truth, but they changed that truth into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Serving themselves instead of serving God. Making the doctrines of the Bible fit what they want instead of just submitting to what God wants. These are people who knew better. And likewise, the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. Okay? So it was an error. It wasn't their fault. They didn't know any better. They did that. They had that error because they were rejecting truth. Because they kept saying no. Because they kept rejecting God, they end up falling into horrible things. Verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. And then it goes and it names off all these horrible, horrible sins. The Bible tells us the reason that you say, well, there's people who've been saved who have done some of those sins. Yes. And those people can be saved. You know why? Because many of them did it ignorantly and unbelief. These reprobates that the Bible's talking about here, it's not people who committed these sins ignorantly and unbelief. It's like the Apostle Paul. Everybody wants to, re- that wants to refute this doctrine. They all go to Romans 1 and they read it and then they talk about Paul. Paul did it ignorantly and unbelief. In Romans 1, these people did it knowing what they were doing. They knew what they were doing was wrong. They knew that they were violating God's law. That is a massive, massive difference right there. And it is a clear, distinct difference that God shows in the Bible. We see in Acts chapter 17, verse 29, because people often they'll bring up things in the Old Testament. For example, David, that we'll get to in a little bit, things that he seemed to have gotten away with. And But notice what it says in Acts 17, verse 29. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. And at the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. You know, there was a time when, you know, there was a lot of people that worshipped idols. They didn't know any better. They were just ignorant. But you know what? We're in a different time right now. Jesus Christ has come to earth. He's given the Holy Spirit. His his people at this point had been spreading the gospel all over the world. And you know what? The Bible says that those uh, apostles, they turn the world upside down. And you know what God's saying right here? What Paul is saying right here? You know what? There's no excuse for ignorance anymore. You all know the truth. You've got no business worshiping idols. 
Yeah, God gave you a pass back in the one day. He didn't let him into heaven. But you know what? God understood the ignorance. You know, he winked at it. He kind of let it go. But now he commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Why? Because they've gotten the gospel to the whole world. They had been spreading that gospel. They had no excuse anymore because now they knew. Now they weren't ignorant. There is a massive difference between someone who commits a sin in ignorance and someone who does it with knowledge. There is a, ma- there is a huge difference. And there are, there are many people who've done horrible things in ignorance. There is a difference between a Muslim killing somebody in what he thinks is a holy war I think there's Muslims out there that have probably done some bad things that have killed a lot of people thinking they are doing God a service. Okay, I believe those people can be saved. Why do I think that? The Apostle Paul did it. The Apostle Paul thought he was doing God's work. The Apostle Paul thought he was doing right. I believe many of these Muslims that are killing people today that are even killing Christians think they're doing God's work. And I believe if those people... Would if they would follow the light, I believe if they, if they would listen to the Holy Spirit, I believe they could be saved because they're they're just ignorant. There's a difference between that and some perverted serial killer in America. Some guy that's just going and just doing vile things to people and just killing them for the pleasure of it. Okay, we live in America, too, where you know we've got churches everywhere. We've got Bibles all over the place. There is no excuse for anybody in this country to just go around mowing people down, you know, and we do, we hear about these stories. We hear about the Sandy Hook stories and, uh, uh, you know, the Colorado shooting. We hear about guys like Jeffrey Dahmer who did just some of the most wicked, perverted things imaginable. And we think, you know, how, you know, how could that person, you know, get saved? Understand why, you know, they're a reprobate guys like him are reprobate. Oh, well, he got saved before he got beat to death in prison. No, he didn't. No, he clearly was given over to a reprobate mind. Do you think Jeffrey Dahmer, growing up in the United States, didn't know it was wrong to eat people? All right. I think most people in America... Now, there might be some people in the jungles of Africa that don't know any better. But I think in the United States, we know you're not supposed to kill, or kill people and eat them. Okay? That's just weird. All right? That is, that is a reprobate. There, there is a difference. What is that difference? Knowledge. Some people know the truth, but people do. They, they will find just the most, you know, the biggest pile of garbage out there. And they'll just thought, you know, and you know, we're just supposed to forgive that because the Apostle Paul. Well, there is a difference. One knew better. One didn't. Some people are deceived. Okay. They're still guilty of that sin. Okay. If I am deceived into sinning like Eve was. Eve was deceived. She did not willfully sin like Adam did. Adam willfully sinned against God. And that's why the Bible says he was in the transgression. That's why God gives Adam the credit for bringing sin into the world and death in the world. He gives that credit to Adam. Why? Adam did it willfully. Eve did it in ignorance. Eve was deceived. She got tricked. But under, and so understand, there is, there is a clear difference. John chapter 3, verse 18. Go ahead and turn over there. So he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. And this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Now, people often get confused with this verse because there's many preachers out there. They teach that repentance 
it's not just, you know, going from trusting in your works to trusting in Jesus, the work of Jesus Christ. They teach that you've got to actually turn from your sins. You've got to change your life in order to be saved. And they'll use that verse because it says, here's why people aren't getting saved. Because men love darkness rather than light. They didn't want to change their life. They loved their sin too much. They didn't want to give up their sin. That's what this is saying right here. Or that's, what, that's what they say this verse is saying. But let's keep reading. All, that's all you have to do to ever refute false doctrine is just keep reading. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Now understand there's a difference between just sin and evil. Okay. Now all evil is sin, but not all sin is necessarily evil. Okay. For example, evil is when you do something that's harmful to somebody. Okay. There are some things that we do that are sin that don't hurt anybody. Okay. But notice these people here that's talking about, they love that darkness because their deeds were evil. They liked hurting. They liked causing pain. And the thing is, notice the light shined. Okay, they, the light shined on them, but what did they do? They turned away from that light. They rejected it. Once again, these are people, they saw the truth, they saw the light, but they said, no, I want to do the evil. Their deeds were evil. And once again, this is another proof that people who do these wicked things, these reprobates, these are people who knew the truth and they rejected that truth. And I personally believe that blasphemy of the Holy Ghost happens when that person says no to God for the last time. And I don't know when that is. Okay? I don't know how I could, you know, I don't know how to demonstrate blaspheming the Holy Ghost. I wouldn't want to try. But I don't think it's just calling something out. But when the whole, it's the Holy Ghost that draws us to salvation. And the Holy Ghost, unlike what the Calvinist teaches, he draws all men. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. But yet, not all men are going to follow that. You know what some people do? They say no. They reject. He draws. They reject. They say no. And then finally, they say no for the last time. And God gives them over to a reprobate mind. They, they, cross, the, they cross out that line. There are some people, you know, they, they don't, you know, they never become reprobate until right before their death. Or just because of the fact, you know, their deeds weren't necessarily evil. These were good people, according to our standards. They were trying to do right. They were trying to be good. They weren't out there trying to hurt people. They were good to their neighbor. They did a lot of good things, but they're still going to die and go to hell because they never put their faith and trust in Christ. But even if they're a hundred years old, they could still be saved. Why? Because they never blasphemed the Holy Ghost. But the people who blasphemed the Holy Ghost, they're the ones that God's speaking to about salvation. He's drawing them to salvation, but yet they want to just go into this deep wickedness. They want to do their perverted things. They want to do their hurtful things to other people. And finally, God says, all right, enough's enough. I'm done with you. I'm going to give you over to those things. So once again, these are people who knew the truth. The Apostle Paul, when he was doing the things he did, he had not gotten to the point of blasting the Holy Ghost yet. He did it in ignorance, in darkness. And when he realized the truth, he accepted the truth. And he, he, he did believe on Christ and he got saved. So this verse shows, you know, they saw the light and they rejected it. 
So God rejected them. They love their evil deeds more than they love their eternal souls. And that's what that passage is teaching. That passage is not teaching. I listened to a guy just last night say that John, because people, you know, they're like, these people are always bringing up the fact that the book of John is written so, you know, we can be saved. And the book of John never uses the word repentance, but you could find repentance in there. And he went to that passage. Once again, just taking it out of context and not reading all the verses around it. And that was dead wrong. So God was shining a light on their evil deeds so he could save them. Okay, why would he point out the evil deeds if he doesn't want to turn from it? Because in order for us to be saved, we've got to realize we're sinners, don't we? We've got to recognize that we're sinful and that we need saving. So God's shining a light on their evil deeds that they're doing, hoping that they're going to realize, hey, I need a savior. I'm on my way to hell. He's not shining the light on them so they can turn from their sins and be good and be saved. He's shining a light on them so they'll see that they need a Savior. You know, you can't get somebody saved who doesn't think they need saved. You can't get somebody saved who doesn't recognize that they're a sinner. They have to realize that they're a sinner. Most people know that. There's some people out there that don't. So there's some things that come natural to us as people, but there's other things that are unnatural. Look at Proverbs chapter 6, verse 30. It says, Men do not despise the thief if he steal to satisfy his soul when he is hungry. Now, is stealing always wrong? Yes, stealing is always wrong. Okay? It would be wrong for me, if, it would be wicked for me if I went and I broke into one of your houses and I stole your big screen TV. That would be wrong, right? It would, now, and it would also be wrong if I went into your house and I stole a bologna sandwich from your kitchen. Okay? But at the same time, what if I steal the bologna sandwich just because I'm hungry? Is it wrong? Yeah, I owe you, you know, four bologna sandwiches. You know, I, I, you know, I ought to pay fourfold. Okay, but the Bible says don't despise a thief if he's stealing for his hunger. Notice what it says. He says, but if he be found, he should restore sevenfold. It says sevenfold here. So I owe you seven bologna sandwiches. He shall give all the substance of his house. If necessary, if that's what he's got to do to pay you back for what he stole, everything he has belongs to you. But you know, don't despise that guy. We can relate with that. Okay? There are some things that we can relate with. We've all been hungry. We've all been tempted to do some things. But you know what? If you, do, if you just come and you steal my TV, you know, if you steal my socks, I mean, you know, just things that you, know, you can live without, you're just doing that out of greed. You're doing that because you're just a terrible person. Okay? You're not, you're not trying to survive. You're just greedy. You know, but there's, and there's, you know, it's the same thing too, even with killing somebody. Okay? For example, you know, murder's murder, right? But you know, if somebody went and beat up my wife, do I have the right then to, after she's safe, to go hunt him down and shoot him in cold blood? No, that's murder. But you know what? I'll tell you right now, if somebody did that to your wife and you went and hunted them down and you shot them in cold blood, I, I can relate with that. <laughs> it's wrong. It's a sin. You know, and, and I'll, I'll, let me show you a verse on that too. You say, ah, oh, that's, no, you're pushing that too far. Uh, where, where is that verse? I think I put it in my notes. Um, look at... Oh, here we go. Yeah, Proverbs 6. It's, it, yeah, uh, chapter 6. I didn't read all the passages. It's right here. It says, But whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. Okay? He doesn't know what he's doing. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. 
a wound and dishonor shall he get, and his reproach shall not be wiped away, for jealousy is the rage of man. Therefore, he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will not regard any ransom. Uh, neither will he rest content, though thou givest many gifts. Guess what? That lady's husband's going to come and he's going to find you and he's going to hunt you down. He's probably going to kill you. Why is he saying that? Is it necessarily right for him to do that? No, but guess what? We all get it. We all, we all get it. We all understand that. But you know, while you wouldn't think me a horrible person, if I maybe got in a rage and I killed somebody that, you know, hurt my wife, you would think I was a horrible person. If I went and I committed the same sin of murder, let's say to a bunch of kids in a school. Okay. It's still murder, right? But you know what? There is, we can't, we can't understand walking into a school and shooting a bunch of little kids. We, we don't understand that. We don't get that. Okay. There are some temptations out there that we understand when it comes to things like adultery and fornication. But then there's other things like the child molesters and things that makes no sense. It's still, those things are still sins. But there are clear differences. And the Bible makes it very clear. There are some things that are just unnatural. And, you know, even, you know, and so, for example, too, you know, there are some things that are just stressful for us. Lying, for example. Okay. Lying is stressful. And you know what? Even the professionals will tell you this. And this is my opinion on it. I'm not a professional. Okay. But professionals will tell you lie detectors don't always work. Now, I personally, I, I think there's a biblical reason why lie detectors don't always work. I think, because here's the thing with these lie detectors, they say, you know, they're very accurate. You know, they detect all these little changes in your heart rate and things like that. And they can tell because lying is stressful, right? But it's stressful to a normal person, but not a reprobate. Okay, reprobates, I believe a reprobate can easily pass a lie detector test while lying. Here, and here's why. Look at what it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having their, the understanding darkened. They did understand, but now it's been darkened. Being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the bitterness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. These are people that, once again, they knew, but they went into darkness and these people are past feeling. See, most of us, there are things that make us feel bad. That's why we can't imagine doing some of those things. But the Bible clearly teaches that there are reprobates out there. That are pe- there are people out there who are past feeling and those people... I believe they could pass a lie detector test. They're not, they're not stressed out by lying. Yeah, ask me anything. They won't even flinch. They don't even care. You and I, we're going to buckle. It's going to show all over their face, in our faces, but not a reprobate. And I have been amazed at some people I know that I was suspicious that they were reprobate. And I tested them with the truth. I tested them. I mean, knew for a fact certain things. Question mark, and they can straight face, I mean, just lie and it doesn't bother. I, I can't imagine that. I, you know, I understand. I'm not telling you that I've never told a lie before, but you know what? I'm telling you right now, I'm not good at it. And when I do it, it stresses me out. You know, it, it stresses me out. I feel really bad, but other people, they don't care. That's why I think politicians are so good at what they do. I think most of them are all reprobate. And that's why they can lie the way they do. 
They're not stressed out by it. They're not bothered by it at all. You know why? They're past feeling. See, and this is because of the fact that nobody likes saying these things because it makes you uncomfortable saying that somebody's done for. That because we're afraid to teach that, a lot of goofballs are out there teaching this stuff, you know, just, you know, anybody can be saved. You know, we need to pray for the salvation of, you know, and then they'll just pick the most biggest pile of garbage in the world, the biggest reprobate out there doing the most perverted, vile acts. And people are just like, that doesn't even make sense. And you know what? It doesn't make sense. And there, there is a clear difference. And so real quickly, I'm going to hit this. I don't want to preach a whole message on it. So then what about David? Alright? Because David knew better, right? I mean, look at all the bad things that David did. And people often do this too. And I have heard this my whole life. Anytime a pastor falls into some great sin, he goes and commits adultery or whatever, David. Uh, they always go to David. And therefore, David's sin equals no consequences for a pastor in the church today. That is ridiculous. Okay. Now, first off, okay, there's a massive difference between a king and a pastor. A massive difference. All right. If you want to treat me like a king, if you want to give me those same rights as a king, great. But guess what that means? It means I can wage war. I can execute people. I can tax people. I can take your children and make them my servants. I can make your children go fight my battles for me. Is that what, is that what a pastor is? Is a pastor a king? No. I was hoping some people would say yes, but no, 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 absolutely not. But yet churches, they allow unqualified men to be pastors and they, and they, and they, in all those cases where, where churches allow unqualified men to be pastors, they often give these pastors the same rights and privileges as a king. They let them be hostile dictators in their church. But listen, David did not get away with it. So think about it. Alright? I'm a pastor. I go and I commit adultery. And then I'm like, you know what? David committed adultery. Therefore, let me keep my position. No consequences. Was there no consequences for David committing adultery? We're not going to take time to read it. But if you go to 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 15... You know, Nathan, the prophet goes to David. He gives him that parable about a man who stole somebody else's land. David said, that man's going to, you know, he's going to pay fourfold. He's going to be in all this trouble. Nathan said, thou art the man. And he said, because of what you did, well, you know, let's go ahead and turn that. I got to show you. I got to show you this. This is good. This is good stuff right here. Look at verse. And I'm not going to quote this right. Verse. Uh, let's start at verse nine. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore, the sword shall never depart from thine house. Well, there's no consequences right there. Because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes, and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. And you know what? What happened that was really creepy? Absalom, his own son, did that in the presence of the people of Israel. Does that sound like no consequences to anybody right now? Verse 12, For thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. He did it on the roof of the house, in the sun, in the open, just like Nathan said. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. That was what he originally said before. And David, 
He acknowledged his sin. And so God said, okay, you're not going to die. David didn't lose his salvation either. But notice what it says. Verse 14, how be it? Because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, he made God look bad, just like pastors make God look bad when they fall into sin. The child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. And that's exactly what happened. Does that sound like no consequences? Listen, if I commit adultery, what would be a worse consequence? Me getting removed from my position here or one of my children dying? Your child dying is even worse. And David had, he had horrible things happen. He had a pervert son who raped his own half-sister. He had another son raise rebellion against him and went and did what Nathan the prophet said it was going to do. And his, that son ended up dying. He had one problem after another because of his sin. Yet, ding-dong pastors today will go and they'll commit some wicked sin and then they'll say, no consequences because of David. We're going to use David as an example. What on earth? That doesn't make a lick of sense. That is foolishness beyond foolishness. And we see today too in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it teaches us that uh, in verse 5 it says, but with, with many of them God was not well pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples and it names all these things that they did. In the Old Testament, it names wicked sins that people did. And God said, these are your examples, so you won't do those things. We do not have David. God did not put David's sin in the Bible. So we all could look at that and say, well, I can get away with that too. No, he put those things in the Bible so we wouldn't do those things. Okay, we have more accountability now because we know more. We have the completed word of God. And yet people are doing that. It, it, just, it makes no sense. But you listen, God will save murderers. God will save adulterers. But that doesn't mean God won't keep His promise and reject those who continue to reject Him after they've received the truth. God's going to keep that promise. And the truth is, when we give people the gospel and they reject, we're actually adding to their condemnation. It says in Hebrews 11, 11, 7, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became the heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. Now, why did he condemn the world? Because he was a preacher of righteousness. And you know what? Those people that he preached to, they rejected. And you know what? They died and they went to hell because of that. He, he condemned them. You say, well, then that means we shouldn't Give anybody the gospel. No, that's not what that means. Because the Bible says, he that believeth not is condemned already. Doesn't it? He that believeth not is, they're already condemned. But when we give somebody the gospel, here's what we're doing. We're actually giving these people a chance. We're giving them hope. If they reject it, now they are in greater danger. Okay? I'm not saying God's not going to give them another chance. Sometimes God gives people many chances. But every time we give somebody the gospel and they reject it, they are in deeper waters. I don't know how many times God's going to give them. Bible, remember, he that being often reproved and hardened his neck. How many times is often? I don't know. Only God knows the number on that. But understand, we see in the Bible, there's a very clear difference between somebody who doesn't know any better 
and somebody who does know better. Big, big difference. And you might say, you know, you can say we shouldn't witness. No, we need to witness. We're, they're already condemned. We're actually giving them a chance. We're giving them an opportunity. Us giving them the gospel is what gives them a chance. And so we're going to continue to do that. But so what about Paul? What about David? What about them? Okay, if you know better, okay, we shouldn't do these things. And many people today are making excuses for some of the most wicked, vile things. And they all want to bring up David and Paul. And people often will even do it with themselves. Pastors have excused their own sin of adultery and they have invoked the name of David. Oh, really? You didn't know any better, huh? And now, now, David knew better with what he did. Okay? And that's why his consequences were so severe. But these guys are doing a sin like David. And they're saying, because David did it, no consequences. I, okay, fine. Let's treat you like David. All right, we won't execute one of your son, children, you know, but, you know, the sword ought to, you, you know, you ought to be getting hammered. You ought to have battles. David had battles his whole life. And it's like, you know, anybody, you know, it doesn't matter what they've done. They've got a right to do whatever they want. They've got a right to pastor. You know, it doesn't matter if they killed somebody in the past or raped somebody in the past. You know, it's all under the blood. They've got a right to do whatever they want to do. No, they don't. Even David, because of all the blood that David had shed, you know what God told David? You're not allowed to build the house of the Lord. God did not let the house of the Lord, even though that was David's desire, it was David's desire to build the house of the Lord, but God said, nope, you don't get to do it because of all that blood that you shed. And you know what? There's people out there who desire the office of a bishop, but you know what? God said, here's some qualifications. And there's people out there that don't meet them. And then they invoke the name of David like he was an exception, showing that they should be an exception too. It's like David didn't get to do everything he wanted to do because of his sins. And if you, there are certain things, if you do them, you don't get to do what you want to do. That's why we find liberty in the law of God. When we obey the law of God, it gives us liberty to do the things that we want to do. Not the sins that we want to do, but actually the good things we want to do. And there are many people today that are not capable and they're not qualified to do good things that maybe they have a desire to do because they've done some horrible, horrible things. So I hope that all that's a help to you. I hope we'll stop using Paul and David's you know, mistakes as an excuse for our willful sin. That is not why the Bible told us those stories. The Bible gave us those stories so we wouldn't do the things they did. We know better. We know more than they did. Therefore, God's going to hold us to a higher standard and we've got a bigger problem when we do it. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank You so much for Your goodness to us. We thank You that, Lord, Your blood cleanses from all sins. We thank You that You're merciful. Dear God, I pray, those of us in here today, we know the truth, God. Help us not to look at these stories in the Bible and feel like we can take advantage of Your grace. Help us to understand that because we know the truth, Lord, you hold us to a higher standard than you do people in other parts of the world who don't know the truth or even people in our own country who've never been taught the truth. I pray you'll help us to not fall into that snare that the devil has gotten so many people to fall into. And you'll help us to just follow your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand.